Welcome to the show, Unbossed. I am so glad that you are here. And I'm so glad to have my co-host here, Ray Vanas in the house, host of Reactions. Ray, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. I was just going to say, it's so nice to be here with you for the first time this year and uh, first of many. So looking forward to this year. Yeah, I am as well. And anything happening on Reactions that you want the people to know about? Yes, this week we are bringing back our game show Fake News, where I bring on a guest to try to sort out the headlines. I write a fake one and a real one. They have to pick the real one. So we'll be doing that this Thursday with my streamer friend Vio. So it's gonna be a good time. And you're gonna have to come on and play sometime because it's it's a it's a it's really competitive. It's it's a lot of fun, but it's I would love that. Yeah, let's make it a date. Uh, Marissa Sachi, let's make that happen. I'm going on reactions and play the fake news game. That is going <laughs> to be so much fun. So definitely, you all, you don't want to miss reactions with Ray Bana. It is hot, hot, hot. And speaking of hot, we got a hot show for you. I have my fire extinguisher on standby because those of you who watch regularly. You know what could happen. So on the show today, Amazon continues to disrespect its workers even after they die on the job. No joke, this right here is not fake news. And yes, this is happening in the United States of America. 7,000 nurses in the NYC, New York City, baby, walk out. Healthcare workers definitely deserve better. They were essential at the height of the pandemic. They are essential right now at this moment. Hell, they they were essential even before we started saying the word essential. Hello, somebody. Nurses are essential. You can't rock the medical system, baby, without the nurses. Sending so much love to you as I have been very privileged to be on the battlefield with many of the nurses in this country to fight for Medicare for all. So they're striking in the NYC. And then Ron DeSantis, AKA DeSanctimonious, is at it again. And this time he's plotting a hostile takeover of a liberal college in Florida. This man, this man, this man, Florida, get your guy. We know he will most likely be running for president in 2024. We got our eye on him. Yeah, we do, unfortunately. So don't forget to subscribe. If you are watching Unbossed right now, you have not subscribed, click subscribe on your on YouTube. Just do it and reach out to your frenemies too. This is a time where friends and frenemies should definitely come together in a pursuit of unity to support Unbossed. Share the stream and send some love in the comments. You know that's my two favorite times of the show when we talk about or discuss or share viewer comments. So we're off, Amazon worker death. So Amazon strikes again. They certainly have a callous indifference to the death of an employee at a Colorado Springs facility. Take a look at this headline. Lack of respect, outcry over Amazon employees death on warehouse floor. And this reporting is coming from The Guardian. On the morning of 27 December or December 27, 2022, at the Amazon Den 4 warehouse in Colorado Springs, Colorado, 61-year-old Rick Jacobs died on the job after experiencing a cardiac event right before a shift. And thank you, Michael at The Guardian. He holds it down on progressive articles and news, and we really appreciate you so much. Now, what happened next has angered his former colleagues. And many of these colleagues, all of the colleagues spoke you know, they wanted to be anonymous because they didn't want backlash. So here we go. Witness say a makeshift barrier around the deceased worker using large cardboard bins was used to block off the area on the outbound shipping deck where the incident occurred. And workers criticized the response and lack of transparency about the incident. Amazon denied boxes were used to cordon off the area, but said managers stood around to make sure no one came near 
for privacy and security. Again, this reporting is coming from Michael at the Guardian. Now, you know, if in fact that is the case, there's nothing wrong with just trying to make sure no one, you know, touches, you know, their colleague or anything like that. But the workers there tell a totally different story from what the management has to say about what happened. Michael goes on. Now, according to employees, as the shift changed, they were not informed about what had happened to their colleague. So imagine driving up to, to your work site, you see you know, flashing lights, whether it's ambulance, firefighters, maybe police cars, and you're walking into the facility and you're trying to, you're having a moment with yourself, like what is going on? And the fact that according to employees, no one, not management, not a social worker, somebody, Nobody was charged with being at the doors and letting employees know we just had an event. You know, maybe they didn't have to go into all the details, but we want everybody to stay cool, calm, and collected, and we'll fill you in as time goes on. There was none of that according to employees. So some employees go on as they shared their story with Michael. Finding out what happened after walking through there had me feel very uncomfortable as there is a blatant disregard of human emotions at this facility. Management could have released those employees affected by offering voluntary time off so that they did not need to use their own time off. But nope, that did not happen. And again, anonymous employee sharing this story with Michael and this employee is exactly right. If you put human concern and human emotion first, then that should automatically click that these workers who were working side by side with their colleague, they're traumatized from what they just saw and or heard. Cuz you know, it was a ripple effect, obviously. The next employee shared, no one should have been told to work alongside a dead body, particularly after witnessing it. Day shift comes in at 7 a.m. or 7.30 a.m. And we were never informed until we arrived to where it had occurred. No warnings before walking into the building, no on-site counselor, simply a flyer. Check this, you know what, I am gonna have to get my fire extinguisher. Simply a flyer put out days later informing us of how to receive mental health counseling, days later. Ray, I'm just gonna I just jump in now because I, I see you ready. I mean, it's disturbing. It's also the idea that just this flyer giving them access or resources to connect to is gonna make up for the, the further traumatization that Amazon caused them by making them work alongside their dead colleague is horrifying. But this is just another example in a long, long, too long list of examples of massive corporations putting profits over people. We see it all the time, and this is an extreme example, of course. But you know, it's it's an everyday occurrence, and I'm sure that when Amazon's PR people get their pretty little story together, they're going to say that they had a duty to their customers, that they had to get these orders shipped out. But in my experience, people have a massive capacity for empathy and understanding. And if you told someone that their package was a day late because you know a worker unfortunately died on the job, they would understand that. But Amazon, of course, doesn't care about their customers. What they care about is their profits and enriching their shareholders. So that's why they continued to work. That's why they forced their employees to work alongside their dead colleague who's still on the ground at the facility. just. A little bit removed by a couple of cardboard boxes. It's truly horrifying. And I, I feel so deeply for these workers who had to go through that. And of course, for the family of the unfortunately deceased former Amazon employee. But I mean, at the end of the day, this is just profits over people over and over again. Yeah, disgustingly so. And it is night and day because we're about to get into what. Amazon had to say about the situation, but very traumatizing. And the recommendations that the employees are given in this interview make a whole lot of sense. So Amazon denies that any of their employees had to work alongside a dead body. Further, they cite privacy concerns for the deceased and his family. Legitimate to cite that, but how you handle that is vitally important for the deceased for his family and also for his colleagues, the people that he worked with on a regular basis because they are in fact an extended family because they work together on a regular basis. So more comments from the employees at the facility. Instantly I was pissed that we're all business as usual 
and there's a human being lying dead in the outbound area and I have to hear about it in the break room, said the worker who also requested to remain anonymous for fear of retaliation. Why is it that we are still working as usual when someone is dead downstairs? I was angry that they think that our lives don't matter, that they're going to sweep me out of the way to get a package out. Now you know what, that Amazon employee is telling the daggone truth there, really. I mean, just callous indifference. And as Ray laid out, I mean, most customers, look, America, you know, instead of getting the package in 24 hours or 48 hours, hell, it may take 72. That's okay. Ain't nobody, you're gonna live. But it does not make sense that the very people that make it possible for this new wiring we have to get the package in 24 seconds. God forbid we gotta wait 48 seconds. Once people know they will have that compassion and empathy that Ray talked about. And these packages are not more important than dealing with the employee that just had the medical emergency and then dealing with his colleagues who are also traumatized with what just happened on the job. It is absolutely insane. Now based on the reporting, there certainly appears to be a lack of respect for those who die and those who continue to work. Now Amazon, the management tells a different story. I, 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 you know, $500 Alex, I'm going with the employees. And this is not the first time that Amazon, that something like this has happened at an Amazon facility. Let's check out this headline, go back to work. Outcry over deaths on Amazon warehouse floor. Billy Foster died last month after a heart attack at work. The incident was just one in a series of recent accidents and fatalities. Now this article is more than three years old, but we see a pattern happening at Amazon. So it's whether or not people have a cardiac event or they're just tired and exhausted. We know we've heard stories of the the delivery personnel being too afraid, ready to go use the bathroom. So they have bottles and and you know in their truck to relieve themselves versus going to the bathroom because they are too afraid. We've heard stories that people are too afraid to get a drink of damn water in the United States of America in the 21st century. So right to me, this a federal probe is in order as far as I'm concerned. Your thoughts on that? Oh, I absolutely agree. And in here in Illinois, I think it was the last year there was a Amazon facility that was in the path of a tornado and they didn't send their workers home. They didn't alert because you can't have your phone on the floor with you as an Amazon employee. So they had no knowledge that this tornado was coming if they hadn't checked beforehand. And Amazon didn't inform them until it was upon them. And multiple people died in that accident. And Amazon covered it up by saying, how could we know that this you know, tragic weather event was gonna occur. But you should have known because I'm a hundred miles away from there. And my mom texted me that morning saying, you know, shelter up because there's gonna be bad storms. If my mom knew, <laughs> and she has no obligation to know, Amazon knew, and they could have told their employees to stay home and take shelter instead of keeping them at this poorly constructed facility facility where they were essentially just left to die. I mean, Amazon has like you said, a, a grotesque pattern of being negligent towards its employees. And I fully agree that there should be some sort of federal probe in, into Amazon and its its practices. I mean, in regards to this and more broadly into the way that it treats its employees. Yeah, overall, and, and not just the feds, one level of government that can get involved because they can do something nationally, but also the states where this is happening, state authorities, the attorney general, local authorities. I mean, this is really something that all levels of government can participate in to protect their citizens from corporations that just flat out don't give a damn about the people who work there. Hello, somebody? Yeah, hello. We might do a poll or something, ask the question. if. A horrific incident happened at an Amazon facility. Would you be okay with getting your package 72 seconds later? Would you be all right? And if you're not all right, the hell with you. Because then that means something is wrong with you. Local, county, state, and federal authorities, listen up, get involved, and stop letting Amazon and other corporations take advantage of their employees this way. Amazon, we got our eye on you. We know you ain't going nowhere. But you need to be regulated like a mofo. 
All right, let's talk about the nurses, Ray. 7,000 New York City nurses walk out. New York nurses are on strike. Take a look. better say that nurses. Now, let me tell you something, America. When nurses are fed up, you better watch out. When the nurses start walking out, you know something is wrong. Scotty beam us all the way to hell up because the nurses are madder than a mofo and they ain't gonna take it no more. When nurses get riled up, Houston, we do have a problem or more appointedly New York. We have a problem. So here's more details on that strike. More than 7,000 nurses at two major New York City hospitals walked off the job Monday, arguing immense staffing shortages are causing widespread burnout and hindering their ability to properly care for their patients. Now, even before COVID, this report is coming from CNN, even before COVID, there were nurse shortages. That we need to recruit more people to become nurses in the good old United States of America. That was before the pandemic hit. Now the pandemic has exacerbated just being human because on top of the pandemic, people still got to deal with regular medical occurrences. And the nurses are saying, hello, somebody. Hello, anybody. Can you hear me? Obviously, they couldn't hear too well, so the nurses walked off the damn job. Let's see in further goes. The nurses say they are working long hours and unsafe conditions without enough pay. A reframe echoed by several other nurses strikes across the country over the past year. The union representing the nurses said an offer of 19% pay hikes isn't enough to solve staffing shortages, and it's not. They need more money, they need hazard pay, they are essential workers. Let's look at what them CEOs making. And then hike up the nurses salaries accordingly. Can we just do that? Nurses are on the front line of any medical system and they should not have to grovel for their pay. Give the ladies and the gentlemen and the people what they asking for. They want more money and with inflation and everything else, the cost of living, all that stuff. They need more money. Now, it is an evergreen reminder that we may be done with the pandemic, but the pandemic is not done with us. Take a look at this headline. New variant is on the rise. Yes, the X double B point one point five. Ray, they, they running out of letters and numbers is most transmissible, yet could fuel a COVID wave. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen and family and friends, we might be done with the pandemic. Pandemic is not done with us. It is still mutating, baby. Ray, so I'm with the nurses on this. You know, most of the time, like 99.9% of the time, I'm sure we would be with the nurses. It would be very rare not to be with the nurses. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say in regards to COVID, I think a lot of people have started living their lives as if COVID isn't real anymore, despite the the surge in the COVID numbers. But there's groups of people who don't have the luxury to do that, you know. Say and that. I, you know, work with dis- disabled people. I'm disabled, so they're the first people that comes to mind. But of course, healthcare workers, nurses, also don't have that luxury because they are going into work every day, understaffed, underpaid, dealing with the the full force of what COVID is doing. And you know, <laughs> if you can believe it. That one time, like three years ago, that everyone went outside and clapped for the nurses didn't actually improve their working conditions or their pay, and it didn't improve the short, the staffing shortages. So they're out there fighting for that still. You know, three years, almost three years after COVID first started in this country. You know, and and of course they were dealing with these sorts of issues long before that. But it, the fact that nothing has really change fundamentally in the the conditions that these nurses are facing while people are willing to preach that we need to support these essential workers but are not actually willing to do anything to support those essential workers it's i would say it's shocking but in this country it isn't shocking but it is disappointing very much so the nurses always on the front line whether we have this 100 year occurrence or not 
And they definitely deserve. They they are definitely the work work person is worth their hire, they're worth their money. In New York, you got to do better and all across the country. Now, as these nurses continue to fight for their rights, let it be known that the sick care industry we're saddled with still puts profits over people. Check out this headline. As nurses strike, hospital CEOs pocket millions. Yeah. Thank you for that, Matthew, letting us know from the lever. Hospitals receive $175 billion in COVID-related aid during the pandemic. Yeah, $175 billion would it be in COVID-related aid during the pandemic, helping to boost profit margins. But little of that, let's bold it, underline it, put an exclamation point and a message in the bottle on a train. But little of that money trickled down to employees. At the end of September 2022, Montefiore was sitting on $1.3 billion in cash and investments, while Mount Sinai had $2.6 billion at the end of 2020. Thank you, Matthew, from the lever. Now, you know what? I am going to throw some damn papers. Let me get through this. Let's put up this next. Uh, finish this out. Monteflore reported 199 million invested in quote limited partnerships in quote like hedge funds and private equity in 2020, according to tax filings reviewed by the lever. Mount Sinai reported 68 million in investments in Central America and the Caribbean. Typically, investments in this region are in tax shelters like the Cayman Islands. Let me tell you something. If they got money for that, then they got money to pay the nurses more money and other essential workers there that make up the entire ecosystem of the hospital. This is ridiculous. It is outrageous. It is immoral. It's untenable. And somebody going to hell. Let me get my fire extinguisher out. They're not going to have a fire extinguisher in hell. They need to go straight there. Don't pass, go, don't collect $200. Just go straight to hell. Treating our nurses this way. Matthew goes on, these nonprofit hospitals, and nonprofit does not mean no profit. I want you to know that. These nonprofit hospitals also boast huge executive salaries. Mount Sinai CEO Kenneth Davis, oh, Mr. Davis, made $5.6 million in 2019, the last year for which complete tax records are available. Monteflore CEO Philip Uza made seven. Point four million in 2020 in the filings with the IRS. Mount Sinai disclosed that 15 executives made more than $1 million annually in 2019. Monteflore disclosed 10 in 2020 with all making more than $1.5 million. You know what? Thank you, Lever. These people going straight to hell. Give the nurses what they are asking for. They are always essential at all times. Ray, I just can't with these people. There's no reason, no excuse. In America, we should not tolerate nurses being treated this way. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's, jail's not enough. These executives need to go to hell because yeah. what they're doing is more, it's beyond criminal and it's inhumane. And the treatment of these nurses is truly horrifying. And I'll just say, I can't think of an industry that should be not based on a capitalist model, not profit driven more than healthcare. And I think that about a lot of industries, but healthcare particularly, and we need only look to every other industrialized, industrialized nation yes. to know that this is not a system that works for the people. It doesn't work for the workers of these industries. It doesn't work for anybody except for the small number of people at the top who are filling their pockets well well the people at the bottom are slaving away for almost nothing or or dying of of preventable illnesses because they can't afford to get the care that's being offered at the prices it's being offered it's a travesty ray you said it amen to that stop commodifying healthcare or sick care in the united states of america it is a public good like water all right all right, we're gonna take a break. I got the fire extinguisher on standby, cause baby, I am hot to try it after that. See you. 
on the other side. Welcome back to the show, my absolute favorite part of the show. Let's get to some, you know, some news that you can use. Spin the wheel. You're we no longer just a viewer. When you become a TYT member, you're a fighter, a leader, a change maker, and someone who believes wholeheartedly in bringing positive change in the world. So just go ahead, put your phone up there, get that Q code. Become an annual TYT member. Go to tyt.com slash spin or just go ahead and collect that Q code real quick. Why don't you do that? Get these prizes. You don't want to miss them. And the Biduation Room, listen to the Biduation Room with Francesca Florentini on Apple Podcasts for a weekly caucus of progressive comics, activists, and thinkers. The Biduation Room will leave you with plenty to laugh about and give you ideas for action. It is something you don't want to miss. And coming up, Deep Dive with Jordan Yule. Up next is the Deep Dive with Jordan Yule starting at 5 p.m. Eastern slash 2 p.m. PT time on twitch.tv.tyt. All right, we are supporting one another. You definitely want to do that. And speaking of Twitch, here we go. We got some comments from our people on Twitch. Nerd says, Ray, we heart you forever. Oh, thank you. That is so sweet. We got C-Man or who, who Scarf Dragon. <laughs> who Scarf Dragon? <laughs> These dragon names are the absolute best. We need a 24-7 Nina channel. I'm with you, Scarf Dragon. <laughs> I will definitely have to put my stunt double to work too if we go 24-7. <laughs> but thank you for that. And C-Man, I try my hardest to be here for the boss turner. I donated, worked through Wolfpack, and almost traveled to Ohio for Senator Turner's campaign. Thank you, C-Man. You know I appreciate you. And you know what, we made a difference. We may not have won that seat, but that's okay. We really shook things up and I appreciate you and so many other people who came from all across the country to be in the great state of Ohio, the 11th Congressional District both times uh, to help me, try to help me win that race. So I appreciate you C-Man and Mountain Dragon will always rock with Turner. Thank you Mountain Dragon, I'm feeling that baby. And on YouTube Super Chat, Zero Joshua. I nominate Nina as the speaker of the house. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Zero Joshua. They ain't ready, baby. They are not ready, but I appreciate that nomination. And Snack Panther, Amazon, where they work you like a horse, but feed you like a chicken. Now you better go ahead on with that. This should be their new slogan. I don't know, Ray. That's uh that's pretty deep. What that's, they just said. That that comparison. That is a good. Yeah, no, that's that's a good comment. Yeah. I also like the person who said they almost traveled to Ohio uh, for your campaign because I don't think I've ever told you this, but I me. I applied to do an internship with your campaign. You uh, did. I did, and I uh, and I uh, I did get an email back a, yeah. a long a million years ago, but I uh, was using two different emails and I never saw it. So. <laughs> This makes me laugh when I think about it, because now you know we get to have these great conversations on your show. <laughs> yeah, we do. The universe brought us back together again. Anyway, that is such a sweet story. Thanks for sharing that with mm-hmm. me. I appreciate you. If there's another campaign, I got you on the list. <laughs> Thanks, Ray, so much for that. So we're having a WTF moment. Joe Biden needs to wake up and listen to the people. Until then, I gotta keep asking. WTF, neoliberal. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema. Miss Cinema, no. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. So folks are calling out this little gouging that's going on in the uh, real estate, in the real estate industry. This is it. Let's put up this headline, let you know what's happening. I want you to get up and close and personal with this. Bowman, Warren, push Biden to protect renters from corporate Price gouging. Thank you, Common Dreams, Jessica, for putting that out there for us. Now, this headline is referring to Representative Jamal Bowman of New York and Senator Elizabeth Warren. 
they joined as many as four dozen other lawmakers in writing a letter to Biden. And let's dive into the letter, shall we? The letter highlights various government statistics, including that the cost of shelter rose 0.8% last October, the highest rate in 40 years. Medium asking rents have jumped 31% while house prices have soared 48% in recent years. And a $100 increase in median rent is tied to a 9% rise in homelessness. So we do have a crisis. And here are the proposed actions by the members of Congress who actually signed that letter. Direct the Federal Housing Finance Agency to establish protections for renters at properties financed with government-backed mortgages. Order the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, to craft a regulation defining excessive rent hikes as a practice that unfairly affects commerce. Good on you, members of Congress who signed this letter. Uh, the proposed action to protect renters, because that's important too, require the US Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, to issue guidance on anti-rent gouging and fair housing to cities and counties receiving federal funds. Urge the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, the Department of Justice, and HUD to investigate corporate landlords accused of illegally discriminating against tenants. Again, good on you, Congress, and propose action. So that, you know, that's it, Ray. I, I think this, I mean, with the members of Congress who signed the letter, not only did they raise the issue, they also raised the solutions to solve the conundrum. Your thoughts on this? Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to highlight, you know, a group of people who is also particularly impacted by these rising rent prices. People who are housing choice voucher holders and better known as Section 8, but for anyone who doesn't know, it's a subsidy, you know, typically given at the local level that pays in part or in full a low income person's rent. I work with a lot of housing choice voucher holders, and over the past year, I have seen one issue come up over and over and over again, which is they'll find an apartment that works for them. And I work with disabled people, so that's really difficult to find accessible housing and affordable housing. But they'll find an apartment that works for them. They'll go to the housing authority here in Chicago and they'll be rejected by the housing authority because the housing authority will say that apartment costs too much because they use a price index to determine what housing should cost in particular areas that's outdated and doesn't account for the massive price gouging by these property management companies or greedy, you know, small time landlords. So even people who are the recipients of these subsidies who have this help in attaining housing are still not being able to find housing because of this price gouging. Yeah, it's just it's not enough. And you know, the members went further. I left out two other proposed actions that I think you will appreciate is activate the Federal Emergency Management Agency resources to help people experiencing homelessness, secure permanent affordable housing, and provide long-term rental assistance. And then lastly, create a federal, and I love this one, create a federal interagency council on tenants' rights to identify actions that can be taken to support renters coordinate policy implementation and engage with underserved communities. And Ray, your point about the outdated price range, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to figure out, recalculate that. And it is also based on region too, because the cost of living varies depending on where you live. So, you know, $30,000 may work real well in the Midwest, but that will not work in, uh, in in the West, you know, for example. So yeah, I totally agree with you. And now it shouldn't have taken a letter to the president. I don't think, Ray, I don't know how you feel about this to do this. He should have done this the very first day in office. This should have been something that was on his list of things to do, because it is very clear that there are poverty pimps out there. There are people making profits, obviously we've seen it with this pandemic and this profit is is excessive and greed, they making money in a way that hurts other people, does not have a regard. So instead, corporate landlords have been 
allowed to thrive and check out this data from 2021. The largest publicly traded property group in the United States saw their combined earnings surge more than 50% last year to nearly $5 billion. Government watchdog group accountable.us found in a new analysis during that time, their top executives saw raises of more than 20%, the group calculated. So then that's coming from reporting from Money Watch. So these people are making more than enough money to do right by their the tenants. And we should not be living in a country where corporations can just buy up, gobble up all of the property and then do what they want and put people who have to rent at a disadvantage. This is unpatriotic. You wanna talk about being unpatriotic, this is unpatriotic. And I wanna say, just go ahead and it's un-American and it's wrong, it's immoral as hell. Federal government, get in there. What you waiting for? Jesus, Mary and Joseph. That's who I'm calling on over this. So that's part one of WTF Neoliberal. We got a part two for you today because you asked for this. Governor Kathy Hochul. So moving forward in our list, we got this one. Hochul personally lobbying New York Dems as she tries to secure Hector LaSalle as top judge. That's right. Hoko is making it personal, personally lobbying. Governor Kathy Hoko is personally lobbying key Democratic senators to back her controversial nominee of Judge Hector LaSalle for top New York jurist, warning at least one she will remember who was with her. Now let's keep that up. Let's go and keep that up. Cause see, this is really how politics works most of the time. Somebody is keeping score. They not gonna say that out loud, but I'm glad that somebody, I'm glad she said the quiet part out loud. Hey, I'm keeping track who with me on this and who is not. And you know what that means? There'll be repercussions and consequences if you don't roll with me. This is what the governor of the state of New York, you know, Jemani Williams would have been a better governor, but we that ship has sailed. Now that's right, She she she's making it personal. So who is this judge that she wants to see have the seat? Let's put up his picture. There he is, there's the judge, you know, looking nicely robed and everything, ain't nothing wrong with that. What makes this nomination so different? While top court nominations typically sail through the state Senate, LaSalle quickly drew opposition. Some progressive activists, union officials, and Democratic senators claim his judicial record is anti-abortion, anti-labor, and anti-due process. Now, if all of these things are true, then it should raise a red flag, and it did for these various groups. But don't forget the governor said like Santa Claus, I got a list, I'm checking it twice. I'm gonna find out who's naughty and nice. And naughty means challenging me, ain't that some stuff? And she better be glad I'm not in the New York State Senate. We be doing the dance. So therefore, so some liberal lawmakers who claim he's too conservative and would tilt the state's top court too far to the right, that is their concerns. Therefore, Governor Kathy Holcomb and her staff are desperately trying to salvage her choice of LaSalle as he battles intense opposition from lefty polls who could succeed in making her the first ever governor to have her judicial pick to lead the state's highest court rejected. Who cares? Right is right is wrong is wrong. And hell, if she wrong and this nominee is wrong, according to the more progressive side and the labor unions and other activists, she ought to take another look and at least entertain their concerns. Ray, your thoughts? Yeah, so LaSalle made a controversial ruling to protect crisis pregnancy centers, which for anyone who doesn't know, these are essentially fake abortion clinics set up mostly by right-wing Christian organizations that are usually placed right next to actual abortion centers so they can grab people out of the parking lot who are going to an appointment at an abortion center and bring them into the crisis pregnancy centers where they are shown, you know, false information about what abortion does to the body, um given just bad information in general. You know, the images you see of like a 40-year-old in a person's womb, that's the type of stuff they're showing at uh crisis pregnancy centers. But I think it also raises another issue where he's a former prosecutor and there is this pipeline of prosecutor to judge. We see it a lot in the federal uh, in the federal courts, we see it in the state courts too, so that's what this would be. Uh, but what Ketanji Brown Jackson represented was 
what I thought would be a welcome shift to seeing public defenders, defense attorneys moving into these higher positions and bringing in a new perspective. But aside from her, we haven't really seen that happen. And I think this is an opportunity for progressives to lead that charge. Less prosecutors as judges, more public defenders as judges. Yeah, agree. Or in some cases where we have some areas in this country where we have progressive prosecutors who understand that their job is not just to lock people up and throw away the key, but to analyze each and every case and mete out justice. See, that's the problem. That's not their goal. They're just trying to check off lists and, and build up their arsenal there. That's so absolutely. Now, various politicians are voicing their rejection of LaSalle. They took the social media to do so. So let's put up some of their tweets. Judge LaSalle is the wrong choice to lead New York's judicial branch. At a time when courts across the country are turning rightward, our great state must chart a different course. After a careful review of the nominee, I am forced to conclude he would be regressive on issues impacting women's rights, labor issues, and climate change. I will be a no on Judge LaSalle. Going further, we got Japari Breezeport in October, November at Governor Kathy Hochul came to our communities to curry black votes. Go ahead, Jabari, to curry black votes. This week, she's tried to push through bail reform rollbacks. Hello, somebody, a Democrat, not a Republican, and just nominated a former prosecutor to our highest court. It is indefensible to ask for black votes and then work to incarcerate us. No on LaSalle. Keep that up. Jabari is exactly right. And I'm glad he laid it out there. He didn't sugarcoat it. He made it really plain because especially since the black community unrelents in their support overwhelmingly, like the most secure voting block for Democrats can be found among black people. So I'm glad Jabari laid it out there. It's indefensible, Governor Hochul, to come to the black community to curry votes, to curry favor. Now you're trying to roll back some progressive agendas that they have in terms of bail reform, and then you put up this judge. And then you got the pure unadulterated nerve to say, hey, I'm watching you. I am going to see who stands with me on this and who does not. That means she gonna seek some revenge on these folks. And then my stunt double has something to say about this, and I'm so glad she did, cuz she, you know, she rolls like that. New Yorkers, get your Democratic Party, <laughs> please. A Democratic governor should not be nominating an anti-choice, anti-labor judge to the court. Amen and amen. We gonna keep an eye on this. And you know what, Judge Holcomb, or not Judge Holcomb, Governor Holcomb, you ain't the only one that can keep a list and check it twice and find out who's being naughty or nice. The voters of the great state of New York need to keep a list on your behind. Y'all should have voted in Jamani Williams, but that ship is sailed for now. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the show, my second favorite part. And Ray is gonna join me in this. I'm gonna remind you to spin the wheel. Yes, you're no longer just a viewer when you become a TYT member. Sign up and spin. Sign up for an annual membership to TYT and spin the wheel for an exciting prize. How to participate? Become an annual TYT member at tyt.com slash spin. Spin the wheel when you get your membership confirmation email. Land on a prize and wait for the delivery via mail. Or you just go ahead and put that smartphone up to that Q code, baby, and get it done right then and there. So come on, sign up, help us out. All right, now to the ultimate part of the show, part two. Ray, what are the people saying? Yeah, so over on Twitch, Gomez420 said, my queen Nina, I have bent the knee. <laughs> You've got some, some loyal subjects over there on Twitch. Oh, so sweet. Uh, and then on YouTube, Panic Boo said, love Nina and Ray, woot woot. Woot woot. <laughs> uh, and Michael said, Hochul would probably rather consult her investment advisor. <laughs> Couldn't agree more with that. Yes, so true. Well, All right. 
Oh, go right ahead, Ray. I was just gonna say, all right, that's that's all we've got so far, the comments. All right, we appreciate all of you for tuning in and all the support that you give to our show Unboss and to the TYT Network. We certainly would not be able to do what we do without you. And we cannot thank you enough. I am big on saying thank you. So you're gonna hear that from me every single day that I am hosting this show. I will be thanking you. It definitely takes teamwork to make the dream work. Sorry, I gotta go from that to a nightmare. DeSantis College Board appointee, Florida, 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 come get your governor. Governor Ron DeSantis, AKA DeSanctimonious, is at it again. This time plotting a hostile takeover of New College of Florida. How is he doing this? So glad you asked. By appointing well-known right-wing anti-civil rights activist, Chris Rufo. Let's go ahead and put this up. I'm proud to announce that Governor Ron DeSantis has appointed me to the board of trustees of the New College of Florida. My ambition is to help the new board majority transform New College into a classical liberal arts institution. We are recapturing higher education. What the hell does that mean? I didn't know higher education needed to be recaptured. I didn't know it was out loose. But according to this man, it needs to be recaptured. Now here's a peek at Chris's website to give you an idea who he is. Cuz I just want you to know, we want you to know. I'm Christopher, I'm a writer, filmmaker, and activist challenging critical race theory and gender ideology in American institutions. Chris, not quite, well, no, I am very sure what the hell that means, but that's that's Chris, ladies and gentlemen, family and friends. And Rufo is known for his attacks on CRT, and that's critical race theory, and spreading the groomer slur against gay and trans people. Rufo is a senior fellow at the conservative Manhattan Institute and has spent years attempting to inject bigotry and incorrect information into mainstream discourses about gay and trans people, drag queens, and the academic discipline known as critical race theory. Rufo is also a frequent guest on Fox News, including a Tucker Carlson's primetime show that is coming from media matters. So this is really dangerous for the students at the university. Let's go further with this. Rufo has long wanted to exert conservative control over educational policy, calling teachers quote, political predators, end quote. Oh, I sigh deeply. Under a pretext of curriculum transparency, now with a new formal appointment, he's positioned to threaten the safety and well-being of black and LGBTQ plus students at New College of Florida, a public liberal arts school with a reportedly significant gay and trans population. This reporting is coming from John from Media Matters. And the kicker is, are y'all ready for this? Well, let, let's go one more. Uh, not only is Chris extremely anti-LGBTQ plus, but frequently attacks a CRT. As nationwide protests erupted in the summer of 2020 following the police murder of George Floyd in a Minneapolis suburb, Rufo began writing about Black Lives Matter with the goal of discrediting the movement. The man has a problem and guess what the kicker is? See, I was trying to jump straight to the kicker. The kicker is the dude does not even live in Florida. Yeah, the dude. I call people dude, that is not good. I'm trying to contain myself. I want you to pick up on the pattern, pick up on my buzzwords, the dude. In 2020 alone, Rufo appeared 62 times on Tucker Carlson's show and mentioned CRT nearly 4,000 times. The man is a grifter. However, Rufo has admitted that he doesn't know anything about what CRT actually is and isn't interested in learning about it. But the governor of the great state of Florida put this fool on the board. Florida professors have no doubt been impacted by Governor DeSantis. No doubt about that over and over again. Let's go ahead and put this graphic up. Muzzled by DeSantis, critical race theory professors 
cancel courses or modify their teaching. As fewer faculty members are protected by tenure, they're finding it harder to resist laws that ban certain racial topics. Their students suffer the consequences. You got doggone right, their students suffer the consequences. And we as a society are gonna suffer the consequences too. Because this man is a big baby. And he don't want to talk about anything that exposes the bad and the ugly about America. No, baby, only the good. Now, you know there's bad and ugly. And what's wrong with telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? That is what education is supposed to be about edifying and lifting and elevating the minds of the people who dart the doors of those institutions. And they have got to know the history of this country and every single facet of it. But oh no, not the sanctimonious. Ray, this man sends me and not in a good way. Yeah, there's nothing that I would love more to just call Christopher Rufo a moron. But I can't even do that because although he doesn't know what he's talking about, he knows what he's doing. He admitted on his Twitter publicly that his plan for CRT, despite not knowing what it actually was, was to rile up parents and get them to call anything that they disliked that was going on in public schools CRT. This person is insidious and appointing him it to this position is truly horrifying, especially when it comes to free speech in public education, because they'll claim that they stand for that, but all of their actions stand squarely against free speech for students and for educators. Yeah, the only free speech rate that they stand for is the free speech that they deem worthy. That is it. You have free speech if you utilize their talking points. That's about as free as your speech is going to get. De sanctimonious is dangerous. And Florida, get your governor and America, please, for the love of God, do not let this man become president. That is our time here on Unbossed. I have the fire extinguisher right next to me because I need it, especially after that story. We appreciate you so much. We appreciate you, Ray. And we appreciate all of you who tuned in with us today. Cannot wait for you to join us again tomorrow. Now, you know what I want you to do about this time. I want you to keep the faith. More importantly, I want you to keep the fight. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network, like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie and the Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.